to Genesis chapter 15. God found a man and his name was Abram. And we know him as Father Abraham, but he had to grow into that. He started out as Abram. And then God entered into him. God entered into his life and added the Ha Abraham. And the Ha is, is uh, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew was J-A, which stands for God. God himself. Abram and God. Abraham and Abram and God became Abraham. And Abraham did a, an amazing thing in the earth. Established God's covenant in the earth. And he became the father of our faith. And this is Mother's Day, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk about mothers of our faith. And about uh, our mother's faith, her, their actual faith. But I want I want to I want to uh, mention this because of the little chorus that we sung just a little bit ago, that was written by my daughter of all people, Amen. Heather, and it says, "Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me; you're my deliverer." And we sung that, and we repeated that phrase, "Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me; you are my deliverer." And uh, I, I love that song, and uh, that song ought to be sung in every church. Amen. But its source, its first mention, the first mention of God as a shield for us is found in, in uh, Genesis 15. And it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Hallelujah. And then Abram, you know, being a typical human being, said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing? I go childless. So God says, you know, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And God says, uh, Abram says, well, what am I going to get out of this? Amen. I think he missed the point. I think he just, I think he didn't have the ability to comprehend what God was telling him. God was saying, I'm going to be I'm going to be a shield around you and I myself will be your reward. Amen. Amen. Now that that's significant to us because in the New Testament the scripture says that we are blessed with faithful Abraham and that the his his promises, God's promises to Abraham have become our inheritance. And so God is our shield and our great reward. Can you say amen? If that's all we ever knew about our, our Abraham blessing, and that's all we ever knew about what we're going to get from Father Abraham, wouldn't that be enough? That God is a shield all around us and that he is our great reward. Mm. Think about that. So when we when we sing this song, Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, you're my deliverer, we're not just singing a song written by Heather, but we are singing a scripture and we're singing about a concept that that our mothers, our godly mothers, got a hold of and and used and 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 planted their faith in. 
I know my mother really believed this stuff. She believed that God was her shield. She believed that God was her deliverer. And she exercised faith in that through her prayers for her family. I remember the prayers of my mother. And uh, I, I've met a lot of ungodly women. And I've known some ungodly mothers who did ungodly things to their children and who would abandon their children, abort their children. I mean, you know, there are some bad, bad women. And so there's some bad mothers. But we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about the godly ones, the good ones. I had a godly mother. And, uh, and, uh, and the mothers we have in this room are godly women. And so, you know, even if you did not grow up with a godly mother, it doesn't mean you can't be one. It doesn't mean, and even if you were not a godly mother when your children were, you know, being raised, doesn't mean you can't change and become a godly mother. If you don't like what you were yesterday, change. Amen. That's one of the great benefits of the gospel is that we can repent and believe the good news and be different ourselves. Amen. And so, uh, you know, a faithful mom is someone who's going to live in that God shelter. He said, I'll be a, I'll be a shield. Well, we could, we could translate that into bubble. There's a, there's a bubble. There's a God bubble that you can live in. And a faithful mom lives in the God bubble. Look at Psalm 3. And this is a Psalm of David. He wasn't a mom. But th this is a Psalm. And what I'm going to share with you today are some of my mother's favorite scriptures. Scriptures that I heard her read out loud and confess. Scriptures that I know she acted on. And she instilled within us. So the, these are precious verses to me. Psalm 3 verse 1 says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul there is no help for him in God. And it says there, Selah, which means, uh, think about this. There are a lot of people who say God's not any help. Where's God? Where's your God? The devil will ask you that. Well, where's God now? Huh? Trying to insinuate that God in some way has abandoned you, that God has forsaken you, or that God has somehow or another failed. Well, the Bible says God is love, and He also says love never fails. Amen. So God never fails. We fail Him, but God is always working. He's always working for the good of them that love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Can you say amen? So, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, but they're liars. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. 
Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Amen. Verse 3, you are a shield around me, my glory, and he who lifts up my head. That's the, the, the living international translation. You, O Jehovah, are a shield around me, my glory, and he who lifts up my head. My father-in-law, Glenn Pratt, was dying in a hospital. And in his last moments, they gathered the family around. And uh, I'm standing on his right side, so I, I take hold of his right hand. And my wife, his daughter, Norma, gets over and takes his left hand. And they're about to pull the plug. So he's just, just a few minutes, and he's going to be gone because the machines were sustaining his life. He was in a coma. He hadn't responded to anything for quite some time. And, uh, and so the family elected to let him go. And so we're gathered around his bedside, and, and Norma begins to sing. And she begins to sing this song. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. And, of course, in her voice, it was beautiful. And it was a cappella, but we were in the intensive care unit in St. Anthony's Hospital in Amarillo. And you could hear her voice just penetrate that whole intensive care unit. I mean, you, you could, I mean, it was just like, all the curtains had been pulled and everybody, you know, her voice just went out. And there was, you could have heard a pin drop. You couldn't even, e even the little beep, beep, beep monitors, you know, you couldn't hear them. It was like God amplified her voice. And while, we're, while she's singing, he squeezed my hand. And she said he squeezed her hand. And we looked over and tears were streaming down his cheeks. And we know that the song ministered to him. And, and you know, when, when you, you know, they say you can be in a coma, but you can still hear. You can still be aware. And we believe that he was aware and that he was, he, he was uh, looking unto the hills from whence comes his help. And that, that song and that, that moment stuck in our minds. And from that point on, you know, we we were comforted in the Lord, knowing that he was that in his last moments he was putting his trust in God and believing and accepting that. And 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 he had been a backslider for you know for several years, uh, even before I met him, and persecuted me. <laughs> and uh, for many, you know, for quite a while until I finally proved myself to be a man in his eyes. You know, given enough time, I was able to do that, but uh, it took a while. And he never complimented me, but he always defended me behind my back. And so, you know, I would find out from others what he really thought of me, but he would never say it. 
but uh, in the last couple of years of his life, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he he uh, you know he knew he was dying, and so he made things right with God. His pastor came and picked him up, and they went out in a field somewhere, and and he he rededicated his life to the Lord. And so I know that in his last couple of years that he made everything right with God and made peace with God. And, uh, but, you know, there's still this doubt because, you know, he never said it to me. But that moment, you know, God brought peace to my heart uh, and, and, and the comfort of knowing that, that uh, uh, he was trusting the Lord in that moment, in that moment where he was about to go, he was trusting the Lord. Amen? Well, that was a faithful mother. Now, that was his daughter, but she was the mother of my kids. And, and she was putting all of her eggs in that basket. She was trusting in the bubble that God had put around him. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Amen. You know, the psalmist David, he discovered a place with God that became an impenetrable shield. He had many enemies. I mean, they came against him like they've come against Donald Trump, you know. Uh, they, they, even his own family, his own son, Absalom, and, and people of his own household lifted up their heel against him. But he said, Lord, you're my glory and you're my shield. And even though ten thousands of thousands are against me, I'm in the bubble. Amen. And and a faithful mother knows about that place of uh, of safety. And she not only runs there herself, but she she prays it on her family. Amen. And he referred to God. You know, David referred to God as the shield and buckler. But look in Psalm ninety-one, verse four. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand but it shall not come nigh thee. I've often wondered what my mother would have said and done during the COVID pandemic. I can't in any fashion, in any way, I cannot envision my mother in a mask. I cannot picture my mother lining up for the shot. My mother never took a flu shot in her life. My mother always trusted in the Lord's bubble. She always did. Um, one time she went to the doctor for a checkup. For some reason, you know, they, they did the uh, x-ray or uh, I forget, CAT scan, something like that body scan or sonogram or something. 
And in the, in the uh, process of that, the doctor discovered that she didn't have an appendix. So he asked her in the interview, he says, what happened to your appendix? She said, oh, it burst about seven years ago. And he said, it burst? He said, well, where did you go to the hospital? And she said, well, I didn't go to the hospital. She said, what did you do? He, she said, I just laid on my bed and prayed in tongues till the pain went away. Amen. You see, she lived in the bubble. Now, I'm not recommending y'all do that. I wouldn't have recommended her to do that. As a matter of fact, we were horrified to find out. We didn't even know she'd been sick much less that her appendix had burst. And the doctor, the same doctor said, oh, by the way, I noticed that you've, you've broken your ribs at some time. You know, the, your ribs have been broken. Two of your ribs have been broken. How did that happen? Uh, she said, oh, about eight years ago, I slipped in the bathtub and fell and broke, you know, hit my ribs. And he said, well, did you go to the doctor then? He said, oh, no. She said, oh, no, no. What'd you do? She said, I went and laid down on the bed and I prayed in tongues till the pain went away. You see, my mother just, she didn't just talk about it. She, she lived in that bubble. She lived in the protection of the Lord. And even though, even though things would happen to her, she would exercise her faith to get out of that situation. And, and uh, a buckler is a small round shield held by a handle at arm's length. It's a shield worn on the left arm. Amen. One that shields and protects. It, it's, it's the small shield. You know, they got a big shield and they got the small shield. But they, they, you, you use that to field off the blows of the enemy while you're slicing away at it with your sword. Amen. And uh, that's a buckler. So the Lord is not only a shield, but he's a buckler. Amen. A buckler is meant to rebuff the attack or to, uh, or to cause the, the blow of the enemy to only be a glancing blow. Amen. And uh, a godly mom knows what to do in a crisis. How many of you have crisis situations come up in your family? Well, a godly mom knows, knows what to do in a crisis. You see, a godly mother doesn't panic. There you go. She, doesn't, she doesn't start squealing and, and screaming and wringing her hands and running around in circles. No, a godly mom knows what to do. And we're living in times of trouble. Amen? Dangers, threats, pandemics, plandemics, wars, rumors of wars. And it's good to know that there is someone mightier than all of us who is willing to protect us, who's willing to shield us in the midst of all the peril that we are in in this world. And if perchance we become captured by some evil thing, God is our mighty deliverer. Amen? It's in the song, right? It's in the, it's in the scriptures. So a godly mom knows about the angels. Look at Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Next verse. The angel of the Lord encampeth 
round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now, my mother and my children's mother and my mother-in-law and a lot of the mothers that I've known in the church are real believers in angelic protection and angelic deliverance. My mother started, I mean, my life began with an angel. An angel appeared to my mother and spoke concerning this child she was going to give birth to. That puts me in the same company of uh, John the Baptist, Jesus, and a few others whose births were announced by angels. How about that? Your pastor's birth was announced by an angel to my mother. And I believe her. You know, I didn't always believe her about her dreams and visions, but after they were all, all coming to pass and coming true, I started, be, I started being a believer. There was a time when I would laugh at my mother when she said, I dreamed such and such. But when those dreams started coming to pass, I quit laughing. And I would start inquiring, Mom, have you dreamed about this? Amen. If she had been alive when I met Ruth, I would have called her up and said, Hey, Mom, have you had a dream about me getting married? Nine times out of ten, she was already she had already dreamed and had already seen her. My dad was a dreamer. My dad dreamed about my children before they were born. Saw them. He even dreamed about some of his grandchildren and they didn't come along until he was gone. But my dad was a dreamer. And he wasn't even, quote, baptizing the Holy Ghost because he smoked cigarettes. You know, you can't smoke cigarettes and be baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's what he was told, so, you know, but he was a dreamer. <laughs> your sons and your daughters. Hmm. Hmm. Your old men. Well, you know, I'm not going to get into that theology uh, discussion. But we're, you know, uh, the angels of the Lord. You know, my mother, I guarantee you there were no idle angels anywhere near her because she was always putting them to work. She said, Lord, set your angels around Ronnie. Oh, by the way, put your angels around Jerry. Put two angels around Jerry. And don't forget Joy. Surround Joy with angels because she's the girl. You know, She's the girl. She's the only girl. Protect her from her four brothers. And Lord, don't don't forget to put angels around Gerald and Myron. And and she was always she was always employing the angels, always believing in angelic protection. She believed in the bubble, she lived in the bubble, but she always believed in angelic protection as well. Well, I married a woman who believed in angelic protection and who saw them. One time in a worship service right at corner, right in Cornerstone Church, we're worshiping the Lord and she stops everything and she says, there are angels standing all the way around the walls of this building and they're holding wrapped gifts in their hands. And she said, I asked the Lord, what does that mean? And she says, I've sent gifts to you. The angels are there ready to give them 
If you'll just receive them. But she saw all these angels standing around the wall. One time we were driving down a highway and my car was just jerking, kept jerking to the right, kept jerking to the right. I pulled over, opened the hood, looked under there with my expert mechanic eyes. Now, I didn't see anything wrong. I didn't see anything out of place, you know. I shut the hood and we took off again, driving about, I slowed down to 55. And, and but every now and then the steering wheel would just jerk, you know. And, and she tapped me on the arm and she said, there's an angel on the hood of our car. I said, what's he doing? She said, he's laying on his stomach and he's reaching down and he's doing something with the wheels. Well, then I slowed down to about 45. I didn't want to lose the angel. You know. And we come into town. I drop her off at the house and I go to my, my uh, uh, mechanic who was a member of our church. I drive it in. He's, I tell him what's going on. He said, well, put it on the lift. So I put it on the lift. He raises it up. Preacher, come here. I went under, I walked under the car and I looked up there and I said, what am I looking at? And he says, you see that? That's the, the rod that connects your steering to the tie rod. And he says, it's completely loose. It's just floating on top of the axle. He says, you have no steering. I had driven 45 miles with no steering. But that angel, that angel kept that car on the road. And my wife saw it. I didn't see it. But I believed her. Because I've been raised to believe that we not only can live in a bubble of God's protection, but we have angelic help. Amen. Amen. There was a there's a preacher in Nepal. His name is uh, Bipin Sarah. That's his name, Bipin Sarah. Did you ever meet Bipin? Uh, he he's out there, kind of a kind of a weird guy. He's 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 Nepali, but even the Nepali people kind of stand off a little bit because Bippin is wild in his faith. And he shows up the first night we we were there. He shows up uh, after a church service because he wanted to he wanted to see Adam. And apparently Adam and he have known each other since Adam first went to Nepal. And so he came to see Adam and we're sitting there eating rice, drinking Coke, and uh, and Bippin starts praying for Adam. And he's praying like this. He said, God, Adam needs financial supporters. Adam needs partners. Adam needs more money. Lord, I just send all the unemployed angels to come and get money and bring it to Adam. And if somebody out here is not using his angel, I, I send his angels too to go and help Adam. I thought, whoa, wait a minute. I don't There's one thing about getting the unemployed angels, you know, but getting my angel. I got to thinking about that. And I thought, you know, my mother would have loved that. Because my mother was always, you know, always employing angels. And, you know, if, if you weren't using yours, she would rustle it. She would tell your angel, go do this and go do that because you're not using them. 
And I began to think, you know, uh, you know, after Brother Bippin, <laughs> and, and of course everybody, everybody there laughed when they heard him say that, except me and Adam. Adam appreciated it. And I'm, th I'm thinking, you know, he's he's onto something there. First of all, I, I really don't think there's a such thing as an unemployed angel, but I do believe that there are angels that aren't being utilized. There's a difference. And if your faith is not activating your angels to do something for you, then loan them to me. I'll find something for them to do. How many of you want to be without your angel? I don't think so. You've got at least one. Every person has a guardian. And I believe that there's more than that. Amen. One preacher woke up one night. He heard a noise. And he looked over in the corner of his bedroom. There was some angels sitting around a campfire. In his room. And they're laughing. They're telling stories and they're laughing. These are angels. Grown up angels. Sitting around a, a campfire in his bedroom. And he said, hey. <laughs> and they looked at him and he said, y'all making too much noise. You're going to have to hold it down. I'm trying to sleep over here. And they said, oh, okay, okay. Go, y'all go right ahead. Say, who was that pastor? I would tell you, but he's such a famous preacher that you would lose confidence in him if I told you who he was. Because you don't believe that story. So I'm not going to tell you who it was. But it was a well-known, highly respected preacher of the gospel. See, there's more going on around you than you know about. If God were to open your eyes, like he did Elijah's servant, you would see that there's more of them than there are of the enemy. Yeah. And they're circling around us. They're camped around about us to do what? To deliver us in the time of trouble. Amen? Look at Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Amen? God's promise to deliver you in the time of trouble. Well, he uses angels to do that. Look in Luke 4, verse 18. Jesus said, this is part of my ministry. Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Now, Jimmy's been talking about casting out devils. And how that casting out devils was the number one sign of the ministry of Jesus. They didn't cast out devils before Jesus came. But Jesus came casting out devils. I mean, the first thing he did was cast out devils. In Matthew chapter 1, he's casting out devils. Jimmy's been teaching on that. Good teaching too. And then when he says... When he, when he commissions us and sends us out to preach the gospel, he says, these signs will follow them to believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. The first thing. Well, what's casting out devils all about? Setting captives free. Delivering the captives. 
You see, Jesus is about setting people free. He's about delivering the captives. So it stands to reason that He wants you delivered in the time of trouble. Amen? And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What does that mean? It means it's now acceptable. It's now acceptable for people to be delivered by the power of God. So whenever we encounter someone that is in bondage to anything, enslaved to anything, troubled by anything or anyone, we know the will of God is for them to be set free and delivered. Amen? And so we believe in the power of God to deliver people. We know He uses angels to do it, but He also uses us to do it. Amen. We are His agents. Um, one of my mother's favorite Bible examples of angelic activity was in, found in Acts chapter 12. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 12. This is a great story. It's so good, I'm going to read the whole thing. Amen, is that alright? Say, Pastor, this isn't Bible study. I know, but you know, I still use the Bible when I preach. Amen. L look at Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Bang. Just like that. He, that was a surprise. It was a shock to him. James was one of the three. Peter, James, and John. His actual name was Jacob. It wasn't James. King James translators turned to change it to James to honor King James. His actual name was Jacob. Peter, Jacob, and John. We've so grown up on King James, we don't even know the guy's real name. Amen? But it's, it's Jacob. Now, Jacob, or James, as the King James translators mistranslated it on purpose, because they wanted to make political points with the king. Amen. But we know that he was killed. The brother, He was the brother of John. He was killed with the sword. And because Herod saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers, four sets of four. So the four times four is carry the one. Sixteen. Sixteen guards. <laughs> For one guy. Intending after Easter or after the Passover. You see the King James people said Easter. They didn't use that word Easter. They used the word Passover. I mean those of you who just swear by the King James translation, I'm just pointing out some problems with it. You say, well, if it's good enough for James and John, it's good enough for me. Well, except there were named, they weren't James and John. It was Jacob and John, and they didn't have a King James Bible. So anytime you use that, it shows how ignorant you are. And it, these King James only people are ignorant people. Now they're 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 vehement in their ignorance, 
And it spills over in a lot of other areas. They're stubborn. I had a guy come in here one day, and 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 after the service, he criticized me for using, um, uh, you know, a NIV. I think I, I used that day, and I said, well, you know, if it's good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. He said they didn't have the NIV. I said they didn't have a King James version either. But here, here, just in this passage I'm reading, there's two mistakes. The word James and the word Easter. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made. Listen to this, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God, uh, of the church unto God for him. Now, who do you think were praying? It's probably, you know, uh, a dozen men and about three dozen women. That's usually the ratio. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Not only did they have 16 guards, but they had, they had him chained. He was chained to the guards. Chain between two of these guards. And then the door. There was a door locked. So he was behind a locked door. Chained to these two guards. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. And a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side. And raised him up saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains just fell off his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandal. Put your shoes on, boy. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And did not know that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He thought he, saw, he was seeing a vision or a dream. When they were past the first and second ward, <clears throat> that means as they're walking out, the doors are just opening without electricity, without, without these magic eyes. Say, oh, here comes somebody open. No, none of that was, none of that was going on. Amen? <laughs> they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. The iron gate, the, the heavy, big, heavy-duty iron gate that guarded the city just opened of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from it. After he was free, the angel disappeared. So there's Peter in the dark, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Whose house were they praying in? Mary's house. A mom 
Mary the mother of John Mark. Mary the mother of John Mark. They went to a mother's house. He, he knew where to go. He knew where the prayer meeting was going on. It was going to be going on at mom's house. Mom Mary. Mama Mary. I always knew what was going on at Mama Irene's house. My mother's name was Irene Pearl. And I always knew what was going on at Mama Irene's house. And that was prayer. Especially after midnight. If I was still out, I knew that Mama would be up and she would be praying until I got home. That was incentive for me to get on home. I didn't want to dishonor my mother and rob her of her sleep. I remember many times I would come in very quietly because I had a key. I would come in very quietly and I'd tiptoe down the hall and as I would pass mom and dad's room, I would hear my mother in there, thank you, Lord, for bringing my son home safely. She would always thank the Lord. And she always did it just as I was passing her room. She wanted me to hear it. Amen. By the way, I didn't have a curfew. My, my parents trusted me. My brothers had curfew. My sister had an early curfew. And the only time I ever got in trouble was when I kept, kept my sister out past her curfew. But it was at church. But that wasn't an excuse. I got in big trouble for keeping my sister out. But they didn't care if I was out half the night. Because they knew... Where I was. They knew I was in church or coming home from church or I was preaching in some far town and driving my and coming home and she'd pray till I got home. And she was sending those angels out to cover me and keep me. And I could tell a lot of stories about how I could have died in those circumstances, but my mother's prayers saved me. On many occasions. I think my mother's prayers kept me awake on many occasions. Amen? And so this was one of her favorite stories. She loved the part where the angels, the angels came in response to the prayers of the saints. And she said, see here, boy. The angels will listen to me. And if I, if I ask the angels to protect you, I know they will because this is my scripture I stand on. Amen. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a godly mom, I'm telling you. A godly mom knows to, that her strength comes from God and not from man, not from herself. Sometimes when we face insurmountable opposition from forces we cannot control, when we can't overcome in our own strength, Mama's faith teaches us that we can trust in the Lord to make up the difference. Look at Ephesians 3.16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. My, my mother and my first wife and my last wife, I'm believing she's the last one, she promised that she would let me go first. I made her promise that before we married. I said, I've been through that once. I don't want to go through that again. 
She said, okay, I'll outlive you. So, I appreciate that decision. But my mother and my wives are all praying women. Tongue-talking, Bible-believing women who trust in the Lord and knew how to tap into His divine energy for their own strength. And I'm telling you what, it saved my bacon many times. God has granted to them, and He'll grant to you, to be strengthened in your inner man by His mighty power. That's a promise we have from God. Look at Ephesians 6.10. He says, finally, my brethren, after he's talked about the armor of God, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Oh, real faith, real faith knows how to tap into God's mighty power. Amen? There's another verse in, in Ephesians that says that His power it, it, toward us. You know, Paul said, I'm praying, I'm praying that you will get illuminated in your mind and you'll begin to comprehend what it means to have the power of God towards you. And that, that phrase, power of God towards you, means unending flow of God's power. Unbroken stream of power that is coming towards you constantly without ever letting up. It's like a river. Many times the Holy Spirit has been compared to a river or rivers. And it's like a river is flowing right beside you and it's a river of power. It's a river of strength. It's a river of life. It's, it's everything you need. And uh, it's, it, it, it's constant flowing. Like the St. John's River flows at 30 miles an hour constantly. So many feet deep, so many, so many feet wide. Sometimes it's two miles wide. Sometimes it's 90 foot deep. But that water in the St. John's River flows constantly at 30 miles an hour out to sea. All that water just going out to sea. But anytime you want to, you can stick your hand in it. Anytime you want to, you can launch your boat into it. Anytime you want to, you can drop a line in it. Fish. You might get an old tire or something. It goes right through the center of town. This, this, that's a, there's a lot of power in that river. And it goes right through the center of town. And most people are completely oblivious to it. They're unaware of it. They, they take no thought for it. Or, or they might say, isn't that beautiful? Oh, I wish we didn't have to cross all these bridges. Hey, I thank God for these bridges. That river would wash you away. Amen? But I, I'm, I'm telling you, there's power in the Holy Ghost and it's, it's coming by you constantly. Paul said it's coming towards you. In other words, you're, you're standing in its path. It has to split and divide and go around you. Or it can go through you, depending on your faith. And all you have to do to tap into God's power and God's strength is believe and reach in there. You can get all the power you need. You can get all the strength you need. And that's what my mother would do. You know, she broke her ribs. Okay, she reached in and got some power from God. <laughs> You know, her appendix burst and she just reached in and got some, got some of that Holy Ghost power. 
And she was she was just like that. I mean, I only remember going to the doctor one time growing up. And I had an, it's because I had an earache and she couldn't get me healed. And she, you know, she put all that stuff in my ear and all that kind of stuff. All of her home remedies didn't work. And I'm still, I still got this earache. So she took me to the doctor and he gave me a penicillin shot in my behind, which I didn't understand at all. I said, it's my ear that hurts, not back there. And I had a nervous reaction to the penicillin. I mean, an allergic reaction. And so I couldn't even walk for a week. I mean, I had to crawl around the house because my leg wouldn't work. And my ear still worked. Yeah, I mean, it was just, so she just said, you know, forget the doctors. We're going to get it. We're going to get a hold of God. See, that, that's old-fashioned Pentecostal talk for tapping into the power. We're going to get a hold of God means I'm going to tap into the power. And so she got serious. She really got down. I mean, she got down and serious. And she began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And she didn't stop until my earache was gone. She knew how to tap into that river. Do you know how? I woke up one morning, I was feeling kind of puny, and I had a math test that day, and I thought, well, I'm going to use my puny feeling to uh, escape that math test, because I'm not ready for that. I'm, I'm smart. I'm this little kid laying in bed. Mom, I don't feel good. I don't think I can go to school today. She grabs her guitar, comes in there, and sits on the corner of my bed, and begins to sing, the great physician now is near, the sympathizing Jesus. Da, 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 da. And she just played and sang until I was healed. And it didn't take long. And she says, you got to go to school. That didn't happen just once, folks. And that didn't just happen to me. She had five of us kids. But that mother knew how to tap into the stream of God's mighty power. She wasn't perfect. She missed it on occasions. But come on, people. Who is perfect? What mother among us is perfect in every way? But we can all tap in. All it takes is the faith of a godly mother who, by the way, passed it on to me, passed it on to her other children. Five kids she raised who are still alive today in spite of our stupidity and the things we've done in life. Amen. I could tell you some stories. Oh, man. But a godly mother knew how to build a hedge around about us. She put me in a bubble. I had a paper route. I'll just tell you one story. I had a paper route. And uh, and I, I used to go on a bicycle. And it was five miles long, my paper route was. And it was up and down hills. And I'd tie these newspapers onto my handlebars. And I'd go off throwing these papers. And it would take me a while. And it was really a lot of work. 
they'll go up and down those hills for five miles and deliver those papers every morning at you know at, at six o'clock in the morning before school. But I was good at it. I was faithful, and I, that's how I made my money. And, and you know, I was I was only fifteen years old. So uh, one day I was at my dad's car lot, and he had this fifty-one Plymouth that was in perfect condition. I mean, it had good tires, had a good flathead six-cylinder engine, had no dings, no dents, nowhere. The interior was perfect. I mean, it was, and I said, Dad, how much for that car? And he said, $35. And I whipped out the cash, and I bought a car from my dad for $35, and I didn't even have a driver's license. But my brother did. And so I asked Jerry if he would drive the car while I sat in the back seat, in the center of the back seat, and I would throw newspapers out both sides of the car. And uh, that got a little awkward because every now and then I'd hit the column, you know, the door facing or the ceiling, and the newspaper would come back on me, and, you know, it, it became to be problematic. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to sit on the hood of the car, and I'm going to throw newspapers that way. That way I don't have anything obstructing. And I can throw those newspapers right up on the porch. And everything was going great. We're going down the road, 35, 40 miles an hour. I'm throwing these newspapers. My brother's driving. Everything's cool. And But I missed the house. I said, oh, I missed that house. He slammed on the brakes. I go flying off of that car. And... I, I knew to tuck and roll, right? So I tucked and rolled. Don't ask me how I knew that, but that's another story. Ruth would tell it, but then you'd get confused, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna just stick to this one story. I tucked and rolled, and in the process of tucking and rolling, I skint myself from here to my toe, front and back, and ripped my pants off. <laughs> And I'm bleeding, and I'm feeling the heat of the car's radiator right here. And I jump up, and I let my brother have it. He's sitting there, his eyes are all bugged out. Are you alive? Are you alive? I said, no, I'm dead, you idiot. You know, and I'm just... So, I, you know, I get home. I'm all tore up, bleeding and everything. And my mother says, I knew it. I was praying for you. I was praying for the Lord to put bubble wrap. I said, you didn't pray fast enough. But I knew that I was alive because of that hedge that had been put around me. There's no reason I should have survived that. I should have at least been in the hospital. Amen. And I learned a valuable lesson the hard way. But it wasn't the only one I learned the hard way. Just... Like I learned not to play Tarzan by tying a rope to the tree in front of me and jumping out and swinging because uh, splat. Amen. My brother learned to check the length of the rope first. You know, we learned a lot of lessons the hard way, but do you know we never suffered a broken bone? Not one of us five kids in our whole lifetime ever suffered a broken bone. And we were rough and rowdy and stupid as kids. 
But we had a godly mother who would wrap us in that shield. I, I keep getting back to that, but that's so important. Amen? Amen. My mother uh, raised us on Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm so, I was so indoctrinated with that scripture and that concept that I could do anything with Christ strengthening me that when my kids were born and we were raising my kids, it was a criminal offense at our house for anyone to say, I can't. I would spank my children for saying, I can't. To me, it was as bad as the F word, which my kids never learned, never knew that. But somehow or another, they knew, you know, they, 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 they would let that slip through. They'd get frustrated trying to do something, and they'd say, I can't do it, I can't do it. And so we'd given them instructions. Do not ever say, I can't. Always say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You ask my kids, that's the first scripture they ever memorized. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen? And so I wasn't paddling them for, for uh, being frustrated. Uh, they were being paddled for being disobedient. There have been times in my life now that my kids are grown that I wish I hadn't have been so adamant about that because now they're doing things that scare me. <laughs> and I can't tell them you can't do that. So I kind of boxed myself into a corner. I should have said, you know, there are some things that you can do but you shouldn't do. But I didn't know I didn't know what I know now. Now it's too late. So now I'm telling my grandkids that. You know, you can do anything you want with Christ strengthening you, but there's some things you shouldn't try to do. They don't and that confuses them. So what can we learn from our godly mothers? <laughs> well, we need to learn about their faith in God. Amen. Make Jesus the source of your strength and power. Make him your place of safety. Make him your shield. Call upon him today to deliver you from everything that holds you captive. Understand that there is great freedom in Jesus Christ our Lord. So run to Jesus. Call on Jesus. Seek Jesus. You'll find him. First Chronicles 16.10 says, Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Amen. Amen. And I think the one picture you need to keep in mind is not the picture of me throwing newspapers from the hood of the car or swinging like Tarzan. The picture you need to keep in your mind is you sitting beside a river of power and all you got to do is reach in. Because that river of power is coming toward you right now and it will not stop. It will never stop. Thank you, Jesus. Father, right now, as we consider the communion we're about to take, I want to ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, give us the faith of our godly mothers.
Lord, they didn't just live that example before us for them, them only, but for our sakes. What an example. And I could have just as easily entitled this the faith of our fathers. Because our dads, our godly dads, were the same way. And I just pray, Father, right now that you would help us to be to this generation what my mother was to my generation. What these godly women that we've discussed have been to us. Lord, help us to carry on the tradition of believing in the power of God to protect, to keep, and to deliver us. And we give you praise for it. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Well, Robert's going to share the communion elements with you. and We're going to understand and realize that it's not by us. It's not by our power, not by our might, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord that these things are so. And it's all made possible because Jesus paid the ultimate price. He laid down his own life. We were singing about that this morning. How he laid down his life for us. That we might pick it up and live not our life, but the life of God. Amen? So if you identify with Jesus, you need to identify with his resurrection. Yes, he died our death. Yes, he died in our place. Yes, he took our sins and our sicknesses and our sorrows and our griefs. He bore them all. Yes, he did do all that for us. But he rose again and he said, because I live, you shall live also. And he didn't call upon us to live a different life than he lives. When he said, because I live, you shall live also. He's saying, you're going to live my life. Paul understood it. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Therefore, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Amen. Don't frustrate the grace of God by not believing in it. Believe in it and live a victorious life. Anything the enemy throws at you, you're capable of overcoming. By the blood and the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hold that piece of bread up and say, Lord, this is your body. I partake of it by faith. Because you live. I live also. Amen. Let's eat together. Hallelujah. And then the blood. The blood. I have a covenant. And so do you. I have a covenant with the Almighty God that's sealed in the blood of His own Son who lives always to make intercession for me. Everything I have is because of the blood. But the blood didn't die. The blood didn't die. Jesus died because all the blood drained from His body. But that blood, the Bible says, was gathered up and is now in heaven. And it has a voice. And it says, not guilty. When my name comes up, 
in heaven, the blood is my witness. The blood says not guilty. Oh, man. When your name is mentioned in heaven, I don't care if it's the devil himself accusing you. The blood speaks up and says, not guilty. Hallelujah. And therefore, I am guaranteed to be a partaker of the new covenant. Glory to God. The blood makes me worthy. Not me. Not anything I've ever done. Not my righteousness. But the blood makes me worthy. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. I receive it and I cover myself by faith in the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together.